You're listening to the Growth Experts Podcast. So if you're looking to 10X your business by learning proven growth strategies, you're in the right place. During my interviews with top CEOs, entrepreneurs, and marketers, I dig deep to uncover the real strategies, hacks, and tools to help you achieve your goals. And I'm your host, Dennis Brown. Hey, have you ever wondered how I generate thousands of inbound leads per year using LinkedIn? Well, this episode is sponsored by my guide, The Ultimate Guide to Generating Inbound Leads with LinkedIn. This is the definitive guide on how to consistently generate inbound leads using LinkedIn and social selling. So if you want a copy of that guide, just send a text to 44222 with the word L-I guide, all one word, L-I guide to 44222, or you can go to my website at askdennisbrown.com forward slash guide. Now let's get on with the show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. And today we have yet another amazing guest. His name is David Kidder. He's an experienced entrepreneur and angel investor in over 40 companies. He's currently the co-founder and CEO of Bionic. Bionic installs proprietary solutions designed to unlock new growth and competitiveness for the world's largest enterprises based on the models, methods, talent, and the tools of venture capital and entrepreneurship. That's a lot. Welcome to the show, David. Great. Wonderful to be here. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. So you're quite the entrepreneur. You've had you're a bunch of startups that you've been involved with. You've had some good exits. You've also invested in a bunch of really interesting and high-profile companies, as well as probably some that maybe didn't survive, which is mostly hard <laughs> for the course. So today, just to give everybody a sense, this is going to be a very different interview, guys, but I think it's super relevant to where we are today. And I think that this might be one of the most valuable episodes for people that really listen to this episode, this might be one of the most valuable episodes that you hear in the first half here of 2000 or in the second half here of, of 2020. So we're going to talk about the playbook or a little, we're going to have a conversation about how to thrive versus just survive during this whole global disruption in this pandemic, because business inherently is changing. It's already changed and it's going to continue to change. But are you making the changes necessary to serve, to come out the winner on the other side or just be another me too who ran the race? And so, you know, I've chosen David as the guy who's going to guide us through that. But before we get into that, give us a super quick backstory, how you got into this, this craziness of invested in 40 companies, and then we'll dive right in. Thank you. Very kind introduction. Just had a great network over the last uh, 25 years of building startups and investing them. And it just grew. You know, it's a kind of classic overnight success story. It's like, you know, 10, 15 years of 80 hour weeks. And then all of a sudden it starts to work. But in any case, I've been very active as an angel investor and had uh, three venture backed startups, two in the SaaS space. You know, two worked, one didn't. You know, so I've gone through soul crushing failure and back. So experienced the whole journey and wrote about it in a book called The Startup Playbook, which profiled the Elons, the Reed Hoffmans, Sarah Blakely's of the world and their journey. But out of that came a whole bunch of ideas around something like the five lenses, which is how to bet your life in a way. What are the criteria that lead to extraordinary outcomes? And that led to Bionic. I knew a couple of very senior executives, one in particular is a vice chairman of GE, Beth Comstock, who brought us in to, to be the radical outsiders, to help them disrupt themselves and learn that in the same way an MBA administrates that big to bigger organization, you know, venture capital and entrepreneurship are also forms of management. They happen to focus on portfolio theory and validation and experimentation to discover the future as opposed to plan it. And we've been modeling that in a pioneering way for the last seven years with my co-founder, Aaron Berkowitz, and 
now we have a 50 person bootstrap startup in New York, just a little over 20 million revenue. And we love the work and love the purpose. So that's where we are. And, and today is really about the struggle that everybody is going through, which is, you know, how do I get back to what I had? How do I get back to that normal? And, and that we'll have a provocative conversation about if that's even possible. So let me ask you this. GE is one of your big clients. Obviously, they were kind of one of the foundation tenants. Who else have you worked with as a part of Bionic? Yeah, GE was back in our first couple of years. Since then, Nike, General Mills, are some of our biggest partners have been the total transformation of P&G over the last five years, which our biggest partner, Citigroup, has been a massive partner of ours, Vanessa Colella and Debbie there. So lots of big companies who are driving effectively growth mindset and the systems into the organization from the CEO down. So we were talking about this earlier prior to the call, like I market and sell and growth hack, so to speak, to the C-suite of the Fortune 500, but predominantly even bigger. So very different marketplace than selling to, you know, middle markets and different accessibilities, not better or worse, just different. And so growth hacking in this stage is not performance-based in the way you can acquire, it's relationship-based. And Bionic is very much a relationship business. Yeah. And what's interesting about that is your perspective, because for those of you that are listening here, whether you're a marketer or an entrepreneur or whatever the case may be, and you're probably more of a small to medium-sized company, you know, you think that driving change through a small business is challenging. Imagine trying to drive change through an organization that has 5,000 or 50,000 employees and layers of, you know, historical bureaucracy and fiefdoms and on the whole kit and caboodle. So the job that you have with those clients is, is no easy feat, right? That's a real true challenge. I mean, a startup is pretty easy to shift in a lot of ways, but large companies are a whole different animal. So congrats on that. And at the end of the day, we're here to talk about how we are going to thrive versus just survive as we go through this major disruption that's disrupted every individual on the planet and even more so some of the businesses that support them and whether they be startup or businesses that have been around for 50 or 100 years. So if you could help guide us through that process of thriving versus surviving, that'd be awesome. So first, a couple thoughts. So I've written publicly about this on LinkedIn. So if you've gone to my LinkedIn, it's David S. Kidder. Just search for me there. There's a whole series of articles called The Great Reset, New Now, The New Future, The Great Refounding, and The Bowl is Broken. And they really unpack this moment. And what they're looking at is really, really the confluence of three radical changes. One for everyone is our personal domain. The distance between ourselves and our family and our work is now completely changed. And that changes the way we sleep, eat, and function when you're one foot away, in my case of my three sons, age you know, 10, 13, and 14, all various levels. And my wife was a startup downstairs. So I'm now living in my work. Secondly is, is my relationship to my professional domain, right? My colleagues, all that ambient energy you need to create, to stay together, to go build into your purpose. That's all been taken away from us. So there's a huge disconnection there, dislocation. And third is, is just our relationship to our customers and their needs. So meta to all of this is that the way we get economic oxygen is because we're solving a need in the world. There is not a single company in the world, I don't care if you have 10 employees or three or 400,000 or a million in the case of Walmart, is that the needs in the world of our customers and our solutions have been transformed. And so very, very few companies, less than 20% on the right side, so to speak, of COVID. For everyone else, it's our adaptability to rediscover, in our case, the idea of refounding, what are we trying to solve in, in relation to how has the need changed? So this really at every level is the struggle between 
kind of hanging on to the past things that worked. Like that's one trapeze band, right? Our bar. And another trapeze bar, that's the future, right? And our arms are kind of getting ripped out. <laughs> We're trying to fix this intermediate, what we think is a short-term problem. If I could just get through this, I'll get back to both hands on that past high-velocity swing that was working. I think that's a failed mindset. I think you literally have to grab hands onto that future trapeze bar and swing with all your might. And the reason why is because that fundamental interface between our solution and our customer problem need has been changed. And so whoever learns the fastest in turning to adapt to that is going to win going forward. So you can't hang on to the past this moment. Yeah, it's a pretty scary proposition, right? You've got people who went into this pandemic thinking that they had it all figured out, right? And that they had kind of nailed their messaging and they had nailed the delivery and they had nailed their processes and their brand was growing and everything was going great. And all of a sudden you're telling them, I want you to swing to a new trapeze and I want you to let go of the old. That's scary. And that's, you know, that's, I mean, I'm trying to relive that, you know, through my previous, my last venture and saying, okay, it took me numerous years to figure it out. Right. And then once we figured it out, it was, it was just throw as much gas on it as we could and accelerate the growth. And then if you told me mid growth that I had to change my game plan, man, in addition to being pretty pissed, I'd be pretty scared. It is scary, but that's the difference between, I'm trying to draw a distinction in the mind of the listener from surviving, which is if I can just get through this, I'll get back to what I had versus winning. And winning means, okay, it's a new game. That's what refounding is. And this is a topic I'm writing my next book about in a podcast around what does it take in your mindset mechanics to start in one way over in the middle when a problem that could be solved by money is not a problem. A lot of these cases can't be solved by money because the need changed, right? And so the business has had change. And so we can't, in a way, we have to accept the change and not hang on to it and move to winning into the new needs. This begs the question, which is, well, what has changed and how do we discover that answer? And the answer really is, it's really a mindset shift from the inside out, right? Making products for customers, i.e. what we had and worked, to solving with them from the outside in. And the reason why that's so critical is because the customers don't know. They themselves have that same confluence, that same triangulated challenge of personal, professional, and customer problems they're dealing with. And so I drew that distinction, this simple idea in your mind, because they themselves, you have to have empathy, are walking through that same challenge. They're not going to be able to have a budget and a need in the world to just tell you where to send the check anymore. You're going to have to go in there and experiment with solutions to how their problem, their customer problem has changed, so you can discover it together. That happens only when you have the ability to act small like you were in the beginning, run experiments, and solve that with them. Yeah, so I think obviously you touched on the most important part, which is kind of where I was honing in on that that mindset shift of acceptance has got to happen first, right? Because you got you to grab one of those trapeze sticks and, and grab on. And then the experimentation. So now you're talking about how to work directly with your customers to kind of evolve the process and the solution and try to understand that. But you mentioned something really interesting. They don't even know how it's changed yet. I mean, they haven't really synthesized how it plays into what they do day to day, right? So, I mean, how do you go about that? I mean, when you walk into it, you know, as I I mentioned before, you know, we hit record, you know, you walk into a room and there's a dartboard on the wall and you get three darts. I mean, you got a pretty good chance you're going to hit the board at least once, maybe hit a bullseye here and there. But you walk into that room and the room is dark and it's pitch black and you try to throw at that same bullseye, you know, you're definitely just going to destroy the wall. You're not going to hit much. How do you go about that process of working with that client 
to evolve, you know, the, the entire, your entire business going forward? Well, it's a mindset shift, but also tactically speaking from selling to discovering, you know, you can't sell something a customer doesn't know. And in many cases doesn't want anymore. So you need to set down your selling and learn to discover, which means that lives in questions and listening. And admittedly, I struggle with this because I'm so passionate about what I do and convincing someone to join us in this journey that, you know, I have really great team members around me who are really good at listening and really good at discovery. So my world actually gets smaller and theirs gets bigger to understand the need, right? And so asking great questions, anchoring is really about looking for those uncovered jewels in the conversation that says, you know, my business is doing this, but in reality, I really, I just, this is really the problem. Or I would do that if I could get paid this way. I got to do it from my home and I don't have, great. Is that a model innovation? Is that a product? Is that direct to consumer? Is that SaaS? Is that, you know, is that logistics going to be, you know, delivered and packaged and chilled differently than it was in the past? So like, those secrets are really revealed when you just have a different mindset and you're really allowing with empathy and safety the customer to say, here's what I'm on the hook for. I was on the hook for last year, my old goals, this outcome. Now what I'm hook for is blank. <laughs> that is where to begin. Because in, in fact, just like us, all of the goals have been changed. The targets are changed. So that reset is ripping through these organizations. That means that if you're the fastest to discover what has happened to the reset, the goals and the outcomes that that person you're selling to is getting paid for, the answer lives in the incentive. And that's how that mindset discovery stuff can actually reveal what you need to change to solve the new need. So that's very meta, but it's actually quite practical in terms of how do you fix from surviving to winning in the work with, with, uh, with changing, adapting your product to the, to the need in the world. Yeah, so I love that whole discovery concept, but how do you go back to the market at this point and what do you suggest or what have you seen most effective in doing that type of discovery? Because the fact is, if you're talking to an existing customer, it's pretty easy, right? You've got a relationship with them. You're going to be able to set up a meeting, pick up a phone, do the Zoom, whatever you got to do. And, and chances are they're going to have a vested interest in helping you do that discovery. But what about people that aren't your existing customers? Is that part of the discovery? I mean, how, what type of tactic or strategy or medium would you use for doing that type of discovery outside of a normal sales process, right? I mean, is there something you've seen work there? Because I, I have a feeling that, you know, calling up a prospect that doesn't know you or setting up a meeting with someone that doesn't know you, they're not going to have a really, they're going to probably have pretty short attention span for trying to help you grow your business, right? So Help me to understand that. Do you have any insight on that? Yeah, sure. I mean, we're living this out right now, which is, I mean, we have, we work with lots of large organizations and I have, I'm in conversation with hundreds of executives in the Fortune 500. What is, you need to stay in a relationship with the customer, which means you can't sell them. You have, you have to be in a sleeves rolled up, shoulder to shoulder relationship with them, solve the need out in front of both of you, as opposed to get, convincing someone from their idea to your idea, you literally are shoulder to shoulder, both metaphorically and probably practically speaking, or at least six feet apart. But in reality is that I think what one way to break the, the distance, so to speak, is really to bring them into the need, which is, I think everyone feels this right now is that everyone feels a little alone, right? In some cases, really alone. But when you really unpack and you say, listen, I have partners and customers all dealing with the same change, the same problem. Why don't you join us? in that conversation, join us for nothing, to learn or not learn, how can we build a community and an ecosystem of people solving that same challenge of the world, whether they're paying or not, they're with you. 
and they're shoulder to shoulder. They're in your peer group. They're in the story, the narrative, the evidence, the case studies, the economics now. And so as you create a platform, a relationship with them where they, in the past, you'd be selling them through conferences and email and LinkedIn, these tools, those are all directional. This is about ecosystem shifts that allow people to join you in the conversation because they themselves are alone. They themselves are trying to solve it. Whether you have the solution or not, they're in solving mode. So have them join you with the rest of the ecosystem to do that so you can take down the defenses, take down the risk, and allow them to begin where they are. So I have found that as a tactic, I started this thing called the Bionic Burst about six months ago to change the way we entirely engage with the community because they, weren't re- they couldn't buy or they weren't ready to buy or they're frozen for a variety of good reasons. But they all have this, the need was still there. The problem was still there. How they're going to solve that, they didn't want to feel alone in placing a bet. So we made that, you know, we brought them together. And I think one of the most powerful words, if the most powerful world in, word in business is together. I think together is the answer to your question. So the bionic burst is that it's a community right? Where you invite people in and you guys just have really serious in-depth conversations about the issues and the solutions, you know, that are going to help guide everybody out of this and solve that problem. What type of community? I mean, is it a Slack community? Is it more like a mastermind? I mean, help me to describe what the Bionic Burst is so that people could kind of frame it. It's incredibly simple, but powerful. We once every third Thursday, once a month, we invite 60, 80 C-suites in the Fortune 500 at various levels. And we solve a burning question that they're all solving relative to growth transformation. And then we curate it. And we have some really kind of famous people in the room, literally. But it's Chatham House rules, completely in confidence, everyone's peer group, glass of wine, 60, 90 minutes. And then we start bringing that conversation in other forms like Slack and Teams and others to keep it curated. But the point is, is that they're staring with their doppelgangers in the world, not alone. Then I, go, I just keep coming back to this idea of together that builds that glue because they really don't want to be wrong right now because the cost of being wrong is almost fatal. So if they can learn together, they can solve together, not only are you sitting in the position to discover what your business has to become, but they themselves can see the answer in their peer group. And so that's a, that's a perfect example of a growth hacking way that changes the across the table to the same side of the table need in the world right now because no one wants to reveal a vulnerability they don't know the answer. So you got to zag really hard right now to put it, to take away that fear so you can actually be in a position to listen and hear and solve it together. Yeah, I love that concept. I love the concept of putting that community together and making it a safe place, obviously, for everybody. And then, you know, they're all benefiting. There's no cost basis. You know, it's really just done with, you know, with the primary goal of, of helping them solve that problem. And they all have different, same problem, but different shades and hues and slightly different retail packaging around it, but it's the same issues, right? Which is their buyers and consumers and customers are all changing voluntarily or involuntarily. And so how that's going to impact them. And some of those CEOs or C-level executives are probably highly, highly vested to do this because if they don't perform and they're publicly traded company, you know, their head's on the chopping block. I mean, they're on a performance basis. And I'm sure the company and board will have a certain amount of empathy to where they're at. But at the same time, you know, they've got to perform and the shareholders don't want to hear that, right? They don't want to hear that long term. I think the first half of the year was everyone got to pass, but the hard questions are coming. The hard questions are going to come in Q4 and then the results will come in Q1 on how to I, this is the classic story of ambidextrous leadership, which is you can no longer be just be an operator, you have to be a creator. 
you got to build jobs. And I think that the test rate is right now. So if you're a CEO of Fortune 500 and you're not thinking about digital and growth transformation, I'm sure they're doing digital transformation. That's totally obvious. Make my analog digital. You totally get that. But the question, you know, as, as Jeffrey Moore, uh, he was on stage at a, a conference we spoke at about six months ago. He said half of the G2000 will disappear in the next 10 years because they fundamentally misunderstand the problem they're digitally transforming. By the time they spend the money digitally transforming their logistics systems, the need will have changed. <laughs> the market will change. So it's like you're too late and you, tra you, you transform the wrong need. So these things happen so fast. So growth as a culture and a system has to be addressed because the only way to go faster is to do less work and working harder in that old system is just literally not going to play out in a way that's favorable for any CEO who doesn't have a growth mindset. Right. So how, do, how does experimentation fit into this? Because we had talked a little bit about that. I mean, you know, I know that we talked about your bionic burst and that's almost an experiment probably in itself. It was, right? yeah. But how does, what does other experimentation look like? What have you seen that's worked or you've tried, maybe didn't work? I mean, how does that play into this whole process, you know, as it evolves? Yeah. So I'm trying to make sure that we land a couple of really practical examples, because I know that's something you're focused on for this audience. And yet the lenses, so to speak, that you look through matter so much to land those specific outcomes. So two ideas, the idea of truth and permission. Very often a CEO will come up after a keynote I give and say, I don't think my company tells me the truth. And I'll tell them, well, it doesn't. And the reason why is because the cost of failure is too high. They make five bets a year. They all have to work and everyone lies because they have to. And the whole culture is intellectually dishonest. Not because they're bad people, but because there is no room for any failure, which is easy because failure is where all the learning happens. And it doesn't mean you do a lot of it. It just means it's more about what not to do. Which means, secondly, is around permission, which is, is the permission in the company to run the experiments lowering the cost of failure, i.e. cheap experiments, so people can tell the truth, which means our business no longer is relevant. Our model has to change. We need to get rid of these old products and bring new products. We have no proprietary gift. We should sell off that dying asset and acquire a new one. Whatever those decisions are, the permission and truth has to be in the room. So to your question, going back around experimentation, you know, there's the lean methodology you're probably familiar with. We call that validate. It's we've, no company in the world is scaled up bigger than Bionic. But in doing so, it's really about the build, measure, learn experiment. It's really the science of, of problem experiment and then data and using that, the MVP model, to actually go and run experiments. And so those experiments really reframe in first principles logic. What is the actual customer problem we're solving for? What's a proprietary gift and why now? That's where experimentation lives. There's lots of great books on that. I encourage you to experiment. You don't need the whole company to do this. You just need your special forces, right? So before you go take countries, learn how to take beaches. You know, you put 100 kids in our class, and in five minutes, you can tell, you know who can draw. Even if you suck at drawing, you'll find those five people. They're gifted. They're truth tellers. They know how to run experiments. They're entrepreneurs. They're in your organization. They're just raising their hand to tell the truth and run the permission to do this. So that's really where this begins is that skill and the way you think, but ultimately ladders up to the permission and truth that you allow as a leader. Love it. Perfect. All right. Well, listen, I got a couple more rapid fire questions I want to answer or ask you, but do you have anything you want to add, you know, before we move on? You know, I will, I'll say this. I'll, I'll say two ideas about this before I get right. One is, I think there's a lot of fear, mostly fear in the world right now. And I think it's still important as you move from sort of surviving to winning is really to have a mindset of responsible abundance, right? You could, you know, 
you're never going to solve something where there's a threat of imminent doom everywhere. You, there is opportunity everywhere, but you have to have an openness to finding that. And that really comes to that mindset. The second thing is really the, the box around what's controllable, uncontrollable, and knowable and unknowable, right? <laughs> Stay in the box of control and knowable. But the, the rest of it where planning lives, you have to set that down, which means how do I think right now? And purpose matters more than at any point. And also determining what you do with your days. Doing the next right thing into your purpose as a mindset and activities is kind of the only way to live this workout right now. But doing that with abundance and not fear. So again, how you think and what you do each day is what matters. And at the end of the test, I'll share a little bit around uh, closing 30 seconds on the research around Navy SEALs, this mindset of why it anchors in that truth. Okay, great. All right, listen. Two rapid fire questions. What's your favorite growth tool, software, SaaS product? You were a SaaS entrepreneur. I'm sure you're using different tools to grow your business and to help your clients. What would be one is your favorite? Well, certainly LinkedIn. I mean, we talked about this beginning. It's a very powerful platform. We've found to be very effective. Love Teams and Slack as community builders. And then lastly, you know, having worked in the space, you know, HubSpot is a fantastic platform. The last, you know, tens of thousands of customers use and have had a great success. So those are no surprises there in a way. Perfect. So you've written multiple books besides your books. What would be one that you might recommend to the audience? Maybe something to help you along in your journey or you think might help them? Uh, General McChrystal's team of teams, how to move from a hierarchical general type leader to a gardener, to a network. When you're in crisis, the answers of how to survive and move to winning are absolutely not going to come from the top down. They're going to come from the edge with the vanguard of where the customer is with your talent and teams. Those ideas have to get to a position of solving uh, to, to help the companies back to the future. Perfect. All right, listen, let everybody know how they can connect with you, David, learn more about what you got going on over at Bionic, maybe get a copy of your, one of your most recent books, and then we'll wrap it up for today. Sure. So I can be easily reached at david at onbionic.com. You can also go to our website. If you're a large organization, www.onbionic.com. And then personally for keynotes and uh, other, all the other books, another investing I do is davidskidder.com, K-I-D-D-E-R. But i really very grateful for the time together. I'm excited for the work and congrat- congratulations on your success in your own journey. And go Bills, big Bills fan. So, <laughs> Yeah, thank you, David. I really appreciate it. Really appreciate you being here. Congrats again on all your success. And uh, I'm sure we'll chat again soon. I look forward to it. Listeners, I want to thank you for tuning in. I truly appreciate your time. If you're enjoying the podcast, then do me a huge favor. Click the subscribe button now and please leave me a review. It would mean a lot to me.